Have you ever been in a place in the midst of people where you felt totally ignored? I have been in such circumstances. I was speaking in Niagara Falls several years ago, and there were two of us speaking. And as far as I can remember, the speaker, the other speaker, never talked to me, even though I tried to get close to, to him, as far as I can remember, totally, totally ignored me. Um, I'm, I'm glad that it was in that day and not today, because there are so many applications you can make to things like that today. But what I'm, what I'm thinking about the topic this morning, who is the Holy Spirit? The easiest thing, my friends, for, uh, if, if I were to show what this means, I would ask, and I'm not going to ask you, how many, I'm not going to ask you, how many of you have heard a message on the Holy Spirit? Not very many. Very few. For some reason, he has been the forgotten member of the Godhead or the Trinity. We have seen and we have heard things about him that have caused great distress to some of us, yours truly included. And yet, I'm making this statement that apart from the Holy Spirit, the Christian life could not be lived. Apart from the third member of the Trinity, as we call that formula, we would be like people building a house and never able to finish it, knowing where we would want to go without knowing how to get there. And what I want for the next few minutes is to answer the question, who is, not what he does, because what he does would take us the rest of the day. But if we understand who he is, we will understand why he does what he does, how he does it, and the purpose for it. And so I want to begin by making a statement, a statement of the most ignored person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And to suggest to you, according to the outline given, that the Holy Spirit existed before. He existed before creation. I want that to sink in. Because we're used to hearing of, in the beginning, God created. And we read in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the one who made everything, and it seems almost like a contradiction. But there's no contradiction at all, as we shall see in a few minutes. What I want to take you through this morning, that the eternal, the eternal spirit lives before there was time. And I want to take you to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Uh, chapter 1 and chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The writer of the Hebrew Bible, uh, the Hebrew the epistles, in chapter 9, verse 14, says this, that the Spirit is the eternal Spirit, timeless, beyond time. When he speaks about the eternality of the Holy Spirit, he's saying the Spirit 
like the sun does not have any beginning. He doesn't have any end. He exists beyond the comprehension of human minds because the human minds always begin with this. If I say, my name is Winston Thurton, which it is, the next question we'll want, people will ask, where are you from? Or who is your father? Because we can never think of, of anything existing without something to which it is related to for its, for its source or its cause. Uh, I was thinking the other day, you know, I, I advertise for GM everywhere I go. Because there's, there's a plaque on my, my vehicle, GM. Everybody knows who made my car. And you know, I think I could, in this day of suing people, I could sue them for, you know, for using me to advertise their product. <laughs> we all, we, well, if, if we see something, we go back. Someone is responsible for that. So the question logically that we want to ask, then who is responsible for the existence of the Holy Spirit? He is eternal. Things that are eternal do not have beginning. That's why we said a few weeks ago that God is eternal. When we think of God, we do not go to first cause. God is the first cause. As one of my professors used to say, he's the uncaused cause. So the Holy Spirit, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, He is the eternal Spirit. He, is exi he existed before there was time. And, and let me, I know that there are some controversies, not controversies, but some other explanation for Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we read, In the beginning, God created. In the Hebrew Bible, the word for God is Elohim, E-L-O-H-I-M. And in Hebrew grammar, the ending I-M is a plural word, not a singular. We say in the beginning, God. But if you please, if I would be reading this text without violating it, this is what it's saying. In the beginning, gods, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. For all three gods, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, it's the essence that makes God God, not what he does. We're not talking about three, three different gods. Don't ever say that Christianity is a, a religion of three gods. It's one God. But he expresses, he, he, he demonstrates the function by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, Deuteronomy 6.4, there is one God. Mark chapter 12, verse 29, there is one God. 1 Timothy 2.1, there is one God. And let me suggest to you why this is so hard. Because, my friends, what we call the Trinity is a mystery. And don't tell me you don't live with mysteries. Every human being lives with mysteries. There are things that you enjoy that you can't explain. 
We see what love does, but what is love like? <laughs> we went through that a few weeks ago, so I won't go in through it again. So even though the Word, the Word Himself, is part of the creation, the Father, Job chapter 33 says, the Spirit of the Lord has made me, has created me. I can't explain that, friends, but I know that I exist. And when I think of myself, I don't think that I am the respo I'm responsible for my own creation. I am, I am a being because a being has made me. R.C. Sproul likes to say that when the Holy Spirit comes and goes, he leaves no footprints. <laughs> a mystery. And, and, you know, people, I, like, I used to say it when I was a younger Christian, Wait until when we get to heaven, we can ask God. And I stopped saying that. Because before we live in eternity, God is going to change us so that that is no longer a problem. <laughs> Paul says, now we see through a glass darkly. But then we shall see as we ought to see. Now we understand partially, but in that time. So God is going to change us so that when we go across the other side, if you please, we will be fitted to understand eternality. We won't become eternal. We have everlasting life because God has shared that with us, but we do not become gods to say we have no beginning and no end. What I'm laboring this morning is that the Holy Spirit existed before creation. And so when God said, let us make man, it was a communication of community for creating the universe by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But look at his activity. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, his activity. And, and again, studying this in, in, in school and, and in um, other places, this verse has been a really difficult verse to be understood. The earth... The world, the universe was void, without shape. And I'm not going to get into that this morning except to say this. God created the universe as it is. And God began the creation and the Holy Spirit continued what God was doing. God spoke it into existence. And why he did it the way he did, that is for him to answer, not me. I can speculate, but uh, this is not a speculation. But what I do want you to see is that when creation, the dawn of creation, the Spirit of God was present. And the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, unfortunately, our somewhat translation was moving. But that's not the Hebrew word. The Holy Spirit at creation moved. Moved. And the word is a word which means to brood over. To bring life into lifelessness. The creation did not have life in itself. And I'm going to quote Dr. Henry Morris. I think he was very good at this, a scientist. He said this. In this scientific understanding, the terminology moved would be to vibrate. To vibrate. The universe needed energy 
for motion. And when God made the creation, the Holy Spirit sat over like a hand over eggs to bring energy. There was no life. There was no order. And the Holy Spirit, his activity in creation was to bring life into lifelessness, to bring beauty into chaos, from chaos. The Bible teaches that the persons of the Godhead participated in the creation of the universe. There are questions, my friends, that the scientists have. I, I, I think one scientist put it this way. The only thing we learn about science is that we don't know everything about science. <laughs> because there are things we do not understand. I love it, you know, Job said, I wish I could get in the presence of God. I would like to ask God questions that, that would stump even God. That's what he was saying. He said, if I can find, if I can only find where God is, I would ask him questions. And then he found God. And God said, I'm going to ask you questions. Where were you when I made the creation? You know how God made the creation? Out of nothing. Out of nothing. He just spoke it into, into existence. Okay, Job, explain that. As someone said, if your grandmother bakes you a cake... Only if she tells you why she baked you the cake will you know the reason. You might know everything about a cake, but if you don't know why, unless she tells you. God has made a creation, and only God can tell us why. And the Holy Spirit is part of that explanation. Let me quickly move then from his eternality, his activity. Look at the expression. Now, the Holy Spirit was hidden, if you please, in in. In, before there was time, just as God, the, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were, were, was, let me put it that way, was, not were, <laughs> one God. Before creation, they existed in heaven, in the eternal dwelling of God. And there came a time when God exposed himself. He gave up his privacy in order to express himself to his creation. Before the creation, there was no need for that. Angels enjoyed that. But God knew what he was going to do. He was going to bring human beings to inhabit the, world, the earth. And so he prepared them to hear him. Let me suggest to you, number one, in the expressions of God. In the Old Testament... The Holy Spirit was selective in his appearances. He was selective. You will find words like the Holy Spirit came and the Holy Spirit left. If you look in Numbers eleven twenty five, Moses is filled with the Spirit, but those who were working with Moses were not, and the Spirit was given to them for that time. In Judges three ten, the Holy Spirit came. And the same thing is said of David in Psalm 51 when he committed that terrible sin. He said, don't take your spirit from me because the Holy Spirit at the time of the Old Testament writing, he was not there forever. He was selective. Certain people were 
filled with the Spirit, and then they had to be filled with the Spirit again because he returned until that time. So his presence came and left. But then, as God continued to show himself, there were specific actions of the Holy Spirit. First selective, there was Moses, then there was Aaron, and, and he gave some of the builders of the, the tabernacle the Spirit of God to build. So then he left. And again, don't ask me how he left. <laughs> but in specific actions, specific actions, we find the Holy Spirit doing specific things for specific purposes. And above everything else, the Spirit of God inhabited the writers of the Bible, the Old Testament, so that they could say, Thus saith the Lord. So that in the book of, of Ezra and Nehemiah, when the people on earth gathered together after the building of the temple and building of the walls, they said, Let us hear the word of God which he gave to Moses. Not Moses' idea about God, but the word of God which came to Moses. The same thing is said of the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, that they received the word of God from men, but understood it to be God's word. So the Holy Spirit then, in specific ways, not to build things, we, and again we went through this last week, the Holy Spirit is responsible for the book we call the Bible. He moved, he moved men to write, not their ideas about God, but God gave them even the words they were supposed to speak so that when the Thessalonians heard from Paul, they heard the word of God. That's almost an introduction. Because now we get to the place, who is the Holy Spirit? I've made general statements. I want you to understand that when we look at John chapter 14 to, to chapter 16, we're looking at Jesus speaking 24 hours before his crucifixion. He's about to return to heaven. And he told the disciples that he was going back. And when he told the disciples he was going back, the disciples, you know what they did? They became sorrowful. They started to say, how can you leave us? We were just beginning to get to know you. We have seen your miracles. You have come to us walking on the water. And now you are leaving? So when you read John chapter 14, that's why you read, don't let your heart be troubled. They were troubled because Jesus was about to return to his eternal abode. So what I want to suggest to you, that the proper teaching of the Holy Spirit is Jesus himself. He is the, he is the educator who educates us about the Spirit. Number one, in John 7, 33, 37 to 39, the last day of the feast, 
Jesus got up and he spoke, If anyone is hungry, is thirsty, let him come to me, and out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. And John explained, this he was speaking about the Holy Spirit, who was not yet given, because Jesus Christ was not yet glorified. I want you to see something here. Jesus was introducing the coming of the Holy Spirit and what he was going to do to the disciples. And he's telling them that when the Spirit comes, this is how you will know he is present with you. John understood this. But before the Holy Spirit would come to dwell with believers in the church, something had to happen on earth. Three things had to happen. Jesus had to die. Jesus had to be raised from the dead. And Jesus had to be glorified in heaven. So that on the morning of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, people thought that the disciples were drunk. And Peter said, no. What you are seeing is what the prophets had predicted before the New Testament, that when Jesus was glorified, the Spirit would come. So when the Holy Spirit came, we can be absolutely convinced of this, that where Jesus is, is in heaven. I say that because, you know, the Da the Vinci Code, you know, they're suggesting that the bones of Jesus were found in certain places, or that, that Jesus took off with Mary and lived someplace in, in uh, northern Europe? What nonsense. Listen, when the Holy Spirit came, it was because Jesus had arrived in heaven. And in that he arrived in heaven, he said, I will go and I will ask the Father, and when I arrive, he will send the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit then came at that point. So Jesus, now if you look in John chapter 14 and verse 18, you will read these words. And I usually have those things on my, in my notes so that I can read it right away. But verse 18 says this. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Read, listen to that. I will not leave you. Your translations, if you have the King James, will say, I will not leave you comfortless. The word literally is as orphans. An orphan is one who has no parents, no visible parents to take care of them. And Jesus is saying, I will pray the Father, and he will send you another comforter. The word another is a Greek word which means one just like. Another in my place. I am, I am the physical, visible paraclete. He is going to be the invisible one but just as real and just as prominent in the life of the church as I am in the disciples' lives. So, Jesus is the one who will tell us what the Holy Spirit does, who he is and what his function 
is not Peter, not James, not the church fathers, but God the Son is going to tell us that the Spirit whom He will send will come from the very place that He left and that He will continue to do what God the Son did when He came on earth and what the Son died, the Holy Spirit will make the death of Christ a reality to those who believe and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let me quickly get to what I call the eminence of the Spirit. That means his dignity. Who he is, in John 8, 42, Jesus said, I proceed from the Father. That is, he comes from the presence of the Father in whose presence he, he delighted in and whose presence he was delighted in all the time from all eternity. He was in the bosom of the Father. I proceed. Uh, proceed, I'm sorry. Proceed from the Father. In John 15, 26, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. I proceed from the Father, the Holy Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit and the Son are of the same essence which the Father has in eternity, and they, they came to earth to do what God desires to do because he didn't want to leave us as orphans. I, I want to suggest, my friends, I said it at the beginning, I want to suggest to you that to ignore the ministry of the Spirit is to ignore the very source for our Christian life and living. If we ignore Him, we are on our own. What are we going to do when we come up against difficult things? Challenges to us. When people lie against you, if you please. When people say bad things about you, how are you going to deal with it? If you have the Spirit of life, you can it is when you don't have the spirit that you've got to look for a way to see how you can do it. And I, 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 don't, I don't want to violate one my own principle. I'm looking at the time, and the time is going, so I want to make sure I don't rush this. Listen to what Jesus said. I will ask the Father, and he will send you another comforter, not someone to replace him but someone who will continue to do what he was doing in the days of his flesh, and he calls him the spirit of truth. Father, the, the son came from the father, the spirit came from the father, and when Jesus spoke of the spirit, he never spoke of the spirit as an it. He spoke of the Holy Spirit as a person. When he comes, beautiful word, he is going to do something in you, but I want you to understand who he is first. Quickly, the enlightening by the Holy Spirit. This is absolutely essential. The Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will guide you, he will teach you. The disciples were to carry out what Jesus has said, what they learned. And just imagine, Jesus is going to die, and the disciples are going to say, what are we going to do? Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is going to come. And when the Holy Spirit comes, 
He's going to take everything that I have said to you, even if you forget them, he will bring it back to your minds. This was comforting to me. You know why it was comforting? Because when we read the Old Testament, we know that Ezekiel wrote, and he was inspired. We know that Isaiah wrote, and he was inspired. We know that Jeremiah wrote, and he, but when we read the New Testament, it just comes to us. Here is proof, my friends, that the New Testament is as inspired as the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit will bring to your mind everything I've said to you, and even what you do not now understand, he will let you know. So when we read the New Testament, we're reading the inspired Word of God because the Holy Spirit knits together the past, the present, and the future as one in the presence of God. He will, he will teach you. He will bring meaning. He will tell you. He will, he will direct you in, path, in, in the pathway of truth. Look at verse 26 of John chapter 14. Verse 26. But the Helper... That's the word comforter if you want. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Have you ever been reading the Bible and ask yourself the question, how did Peter know that? How did, how did Luke know how to write? The Holy Spirit brought it back to their minds. And they were, they were able to put the pieces together. Inspiration is a very beautiful thing, friend, but it, it belongs to God alone. So he will teach us. That's how he enlightens us. Two, he will show us the way. Isn't it amazing? Jesus said, I am the way. And the Holy Spirit will show us what that way is. He, he will direct your steps. He, he will make you know that the way you're going, that when you say you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you are not believing a lie. When you say that this is the way God wants me to live in faithfulness to my wife or to my husband, you're not reading a lie. That's what Jesus said. And that's what the Holy Spirit confirms. He will lead us in the way that we're supposed to go. What they wrote in the original text was written with the absolute accuracy because it was the truth spoken by God. But I want to get to number three very quickly. He guides us, he teaches, he, he guides. But look at what, what we have in John 16, verse 14. In 16, 14, he says this. He will glorify me for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you all things that the Father has given me, therefore I said to you, he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Here, my friends, is the absolute necessity for the church. When we open this book and we go to it, we go to it with the prayer, Lord, teach me from your word the way in which I am to go the way in which I am to live. Jesus has spoken, so I want to know how I am to live. John says, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit will take those things and he will disclose them to you. But that's not all. 
he will glorify me. Oh, my friends, you know what that means? That when the Holy Spirit is present, Jesus Christ is precious to you. When the Holy Spirit is present, Jesus Christ, I, I was telling someone, and I, and I don't know if it's a good analogy or not, at, at, our, at our church barbecue last night, somebody made apple pie. That stuff was good. You know, I, I, I took a piece of the crust and it just melted in my mouth. I was savoring it. Please listen, friends, if I may take that very homey illustration. When the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ, Christ is savored. by Your taste buds just, just rise with delight. You know why? Because God said this. This is my beloved Son in whom I take pleasure. If Jesus Christ is not delighting your soul, it may be that you need to be revived by the Holy Spirit. Because when He comes, He glorifies the Son in whom God the Father took pleasure. And I'm able to say, I'm able to say it with conviction, oh, how I love Jesus because He first loved me. I know His love for me and His love in me goes back to Him. And what delights God when the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son is what delights me. Wow. Let me end with number four. Experiencing the Holy Spirit. How do we experience the Holy Spirit? First, the Holy Spirit begins with conviction. With conviction. He will convict the world of sin. Before anyone can become a Christian, they must be convicted of sin because the reason Jesus died on the cross was not for our self-esteem, it is for our sins. And he begins by showing us the only reason the cross is there at all is because God says, the soul that sins shall die. And Christ died for our sins. That's how it begins. So, once we're convinced of sin, we are then convinced of righteousness. And who is the righteous one? The Son of God. What could not be understood? Uh, let, let me tell you how Peter puts it. Oh, my. <laughs> how Peter puts it. On the day of Pentecost, when they thought that the disciples were drunk, Peter said, no, we're not. And then they heard what Peter said. And then they cried out in Acts 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 38, what are we going to do? And Peter said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Spirit. The Spirit is given as a gift at conversion. When we come into our relationship with God through repentance and faith, we are set free by the Spirit who makes us look at Jesus Christ and see Him as God's answer to our judgment. He took it in our place. And then the Spirit begins to illuminate us. And it, by the way, it's possible to be a Christian and live in ignorance of the Spirit in, in two 
Corinthians 3, um, uh, 2, 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul said to the Christian, don't you know that, I think 1 Corinthians 6.19 is more accurate, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? It is possible for the Spirit to be indwelling and be silent. Paul had to remind the Corinthians, you're behaving unlike the Spirit who indwells you. The Holy Spirit begins his work at the time of conversion, showing us who the Savior is, why we need him, and then he comes and Jesus said, the Spirit is going to be in you forever. Forever. Now, how do we know when the Holy Spirit is present? Here is Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Paul is saying, you will know that the Holy Spirit is resident when what comes from his residency is expressed in love, joy, peace, and so on and so on. It tells us the Holy Spirit is the one who has been given to the church to carry on what Jesus started. Jesus said to the disciples at Pentecost, don't leave until the Holy Spirit comes because he's the one that's going to bring back everything I've told you. So he's the third person of the Trinity. That's who he is. He's, he's the one on earth that is at work now, carrying on what Jesus started. And he's the one who will complete the work because he's the one who creates life. And in that day, in a wonderful way, he will change our vile body from what it is now into the body like that of our glorious Lord. Friends, I have not exhausted the text to be sure, but all I want you to hear this morning in answer to the question, who is the Holy Spirit? He's the third person of the Trinity whom Jesus has sent to continue the work he has done, not only in the disciples to write, but in the church to live so that we now display for the world, display for the glory of God in the world the things that are, re are true of any Christian, any church where the Holy Spirit is present. Let us pray. What a vast, vast subject, Lord. But I pray that him of whom we spoke this morning will himself speak. If, if there are questions that this text has caused to rise, may they ask God for help because the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the text. Fill us with a desire to want to know you more and that you have given us the Holy Spirit that we do not live sad lives as the disciples were about to do. Finish the work which, Lord, that you have started in our lives. Give us a thirst for Jesus so that what brings pleasure to God, the Holy Spirit will bring pleasure to us and that we will love the Lord our God with all our hearts as the Holy Spirit illuminates us to understand more and more who Jesus Christ is. I will ask the Father, and he will send you another comforter, and he will be with you forever. Amen.